Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moore. So, this week on the podcast, we have the brilliant Manus Halligan. Manus is an actor and a voiceover artist whose voice I think you're going to recognise very, very quickly. He's a super talented and successful voiceover artist here in Ireland and further afield. Uh, his theatre work uh, includes Inside the GPO with Fishamble, uh, The Poor Little Boy with No Arms, that's with One Duck, and then she stoops to Conquer and King Lear at the Abbey. And you might have seen him uh, on the TV in bits and bobs like Rebellion and uh, My Life for Ireland, which was uh, a gorgeous little short film. Um, as well as this, Manus is... Uh, Involved in a really exciting fringe show. Uh, it's a, a children's show, but it's I've seen Bombinate's work, okay, and Bombinate are the company who've done it. And it you know, it's one of these things where it's kinda of framed as a children's show, but it's really for everyone. Their show Half Light, which is coming back again later this year, is honestly one of my favourite pieces of theatre I've ever seen. And they're back this year with Susie and the Story Shredder. And the team behind it is brilliant. It's Manus and Claude Mooney Duggan on stage. The music is being done by Michael David McKiernan and Molly Malumby and Ursula McGinn are behind everything from the direction and the design and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, they're a great company, they're really lovely people and they deserve your support. So they're on in the cube. Uh, they're a lunchtime show, which is really lovely as well. Um, as I said, it's totally suitable for kids. It's that Saturday uh, and Sunday September 8th and 9th at 1.15 and then Saturday and Sunday 15th and 16th uh, of September and that's at 11 o'clock and 1.15 on both those days so you can check out all the details at fringefest.com but go and check out Susie and the Story Shredder because um the guy's work is brilliant and I'm so excited to check it out. Uh, in other news, if this intro sounds a little bit weird, it's because I'm recording it uh, first thing in the morning uh, after getting a, a very, very cool night train from Krakow to Prague. It's really weird being away from Dublin for this long. I haven't done it in a while. I know that might sound like a weird thing to say, but as an adult, I've never really gone on holidays. Does that make sense? So this is a really enjoyable uh, little time um, for me. And um, yeah, so just having the crack here. But as I said, the podcast will keep coming. So um, please do enjoy this wonderful episode with the brilliant Manus Halligan playing personality bingo with Tom Morin. Manus Halligan, ready to play personality bingo? Yep. All right, let's do it. So a quick explanation of how it all works. Uh, I've got 60 minutes on the clock here. I've got 60 bingo balls in here and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on a yep. sheet of paper there. Would you do me a favor and read out the five? Four, 24, 57, very good number, mm. 51, 36, and nine. Nice. Would you do me a favour pick uh, another number, something that's not there between 1 and 60? Oh, I did. I chose 9. 9. So oh, that was, that was a number I wrote down. Yeah, nice one. Okay, 9. Any reason? Um, 9. I'm into football. Yeah. And I started playing um, 6 aside out in Kilmacud, in the cages in St. Benilda School. Right. And number 9 was the jersey number given to me because I play up front for them. And yeah, I think it's a good, solid number. And we're now getting into the Premier League tonight. So yes. I'm very much a football on the brain. The fancy football team has gone in. It's it's getting big. It's Who, getting serious. Who's the captain for week one? Captain for week one is Salah. Okay. Although kind of my last year I was I'm a devil for because it's not real that I like taking chances with fancy football yeah. just to up the stakes for myself. Um that I almost wanted to pick uh, Firmino this week. That Salah might have a slow start to the Premier League this year mm. because teams are used to him and are gonna be defending their their, their whole defensive structure is gonna be based around Mo Salah, even though they've got 
fucking loads of class players. Um, are you Liverpool fan? You know? No, I'm a Newcastle fan. Oh, are you? Yeah, so I have a good, like, knowledge around other teams based on the fact that Newcastle, you don't get stuck in a bubble with Newcastle because you can't or else you'll get depressed and sad. Yeah. Because we're never, the only thing we've won the last, like, 60 years is two championship titles because we were relegated twice. And we got back up straight away, which is an achievement, but you're never holding out that, oh, we're going to be in the top six this year. It's We're always 12th. Well, uh, the, until uh, we're not, until uh, we're bottom. I'm a Spurs fan, so I think Newcastle and Spurs both probably had the saddest transfer windows. Uh, I mean, yeah. Newcastle in the sense like they made like a 28 million profit, which is just kind of like lads, come on. And then Spurs <laughs> didn't, didn't sign anyone. Yeah, like, oh, we t- like Spurs. It just Daniel Levy just like won't just holds on to those purse strings really nice and tight. But you have a great team, great team, great team. There's no reason. Look, he could have sold Deli Ali yeah. to like Real Madrid or someone would have had him yeah. for loads of money. You need him. He's nice and young, and he's been there for ages. He knows the structure of the team. Pochettino's a great manager and he'll be going to some massive team once he leaves. It's just a matter of if something happens to Harry Kane, where do the yes. goals come from? Where, like, where yeah. do the 30 goals come from? You know what Yeah, I mean? you're not expecting Son to be racking in big goals, although I really like Son. Yeah, me too. he's not like Harry Kane. No, he might, he might get you, you know, 18 goals and something like that, you know. That's yeah, and that'll be, un- that's fucking fantastic. He was around that last season. It's great. Anyway, look, I could talk about... Let me just turn this yeah, into yeah, second yeah, captains. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say that uh, if all six of them numbers do come out, the tables are turned and you can ask me uh, any football or non-football related question and Excellent. I will give you a totally honest answer. Uh, yeah. Right, will we uh, give it a spin? Mm. All right, here we go. First out the gate, we have number 30. Do you have it? 30, I do not. No worries. Number 30, the question is, what is your worst habit? My worst habit... Um, well, straight at the gate, I'd guess, bite my nails. Oh, yeah. I'm horrible at biting my nails. When I was very young, my mother used to even like go to the pharmacy and buy that horrible, clear, varnish thing that you put on your nails that uh, makes, if you've got to bite it, it's a disgusting taste. Yeah. Um, so that'd be my main habit. But other than that, like, slow to get out of bed. But if I need to get out of bed, I'll absolutely get out of bed. But yeah. if I don't, I'm a sucker for just staying in for the extra, like, hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. But biting my nails, although I've gotten much better with my nails, like there's four nails, like absolutely, you know what I mean. And that's a, that's a that's a new development, is it? It is. Over the last two years, I've noticed. I'm like, oh, I'm actually biting my nails. Usually, I bite my nails when I'm in the cinema. So I go to the cinema a lot during the day mm. and on my own. And if I'm just watching a film, I just find my hand going to my mouth more and more. And once I start to bite a nail, I have to finish it. Interesting. That's the so just it's a constant. I don't know if it's a nervy thing or just something you do when you're so engrossed in something the rest of your body's doing that you don't even realise you're doing. Yeah. My experience with that nail paint was I used to suck my thumb. But oh, yeah. Until, I, and like, it was very strange. I think I stopped when I was 13, which is very late to mm. stop. And Absolutely, I had zero yeah. desire to stop. Like, I was in secondary yeah, yeah, school yeah. sucking my thumb and I just didn't care. Like, and I, I, like, I just, I just, it was just like my comfort thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was just, yeah, yeah. I loved it. And uh, yeah, eventually I had to stop because it was kind of messing with my teeth, you know, it was okay, putting yeah. them in shape. But that, that paint is rough. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it is. It's, ooh few things I know that tastes like that I can't stay on air but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right right let's <laughs> give another spin uh, here we go next at the gate we have number 53 oh I do not have it oh you don't no, oh was 57 that's right 7 to 51 um okay uh what is the greatest piece of art you've ever witnessed anything from film theater music comedy concerts any piece of art um I have like always sticks to me I absolutely adored uh, the production that um, they did in Galway Arts so was the landmark who did it with Killy Murphy, uh, mm. Mr. Man. Mm. When Enda Walsh rewrote Mr. Man to make it into like an hour 
long show or an hour and ten or whatever it was, um, that had everything, like one person on stage in the massive warehouse theatre they had, but you're able to follow it. You felt like it was on, you could, even though he's so far away, you felt like you're like a close-up of a film constantly with him. The sound design was remarkable. The set was so industrial. Um, and it just, I don't know, everything, every single aspect of it just hit me so hard. When I was in Mr. Man when I was younger, so it was kind of like, okay, the script's kind of changed a bit, and this is how they're doing all the different characters that he meets along the way. And just Killian Murphy's absolutely outstanding on stage. Like, every night, like, everything I've seen him in, he's just, like, sweating buckets at the end. Not that you need to be sweating, but he just happens to be constantly playing those very physical roles, like mm. a Bally Turk. And he just gives it his all. And he's so, like, beyond believable, just... Even if he, you're out of the moment, not even looking at him as his character, just as a performer, he's given it 110% every single show. Yeah. And that really sticks in your memory when you're remembering a show. It's always, I hone in on the performances. Uh, I think Mr. Man. Um, other big, like I've seen a few dance shows. I remember loving Knots that uh, Kush came did years ago upstairs in the project. I do love going to see dance shows in general because mm. they're just like, you can just sit there and just let it kind of wash over you. They don't get too too in the can but they usually don't get too intense there's no big dialogue and scenes where people are throwing dialogue back and forth you can just listen to the lovely music the lighting's always gorgeous and the dancing's always fantastic just love going to dance shows but no other one that's jumping out at me yeah speaking about Killian Murphy right do you have I was thinking about this today for myself do you have like a an actor or a person whose career arc or like range or whatever it might be that you really admire if you were to pick someone it, Killian Murphy Really? Like, yeah, like to go from to go from down to Cork doing Disco Pigs and being pally with Andrew Walsh and Pat Kiernan and then to all of a sudden be doing like obviously bigger, bigger shows and then getting cast in massive movies. Like, he's such an integral part in the movie Inception. You constantly forget about it. Um, that he's the main person they're constantly trying to incept their minds. And Kitty Murphy's brilliant in it. Dunkirk, he's got that lovely role where he's just playing this kind of cowardly character. You can't necessarily blame him. Um, going into war but he has all these massive and then you've um, obviously Peaky Blinders he plays mm. all these like a vast array of characters but every you get a feeling that every director in Hollywood would love to have him in the movie yet he doesn't like live in LA and he's got his family and back here and I just think that's very very admirable to have that he doesn't like he could have been the young actor who's from Ireland who does like Colin Farrell and goes over to LA and just lives there and lives the LA life he very much travels for work shoots the movies or goes over to London shoots the movies and comes back and that's extremely admirable I think yeah and it's very it's cool then that he you know he'll take those that two months and do you know a weird theatre gig exactly in, yeah you know, it's great yeah, yeah he's uh, Andrew Walsh <laughs> must be so lucky also works both ways because Andrew Walsh is fantastic as well but to always be like oh Andrew's got a new play wants you to be in it fantastic it's probably an amazing role I know end is writing really well so I can fit in there and it's like it's the kind of dream you know what I mean yeah it's pretty sweet to be slot in with a writer like that yeah big time right let's give it a spin go on four <laughs> it's not four it's 52 oh my god we're hanging out in the 50 today yeah. number 52 the question is uh, oh <laughs> it's an aggressive question what is one thing you wish you could change about yourself about myself yeah um, well I can't grow a beard uh-uh. so like uh, getting that out there because by acting when you're going for auditions for things like ads or like minor roles in TV shows you're cast off your looks 90% of the time 
and a lot of the time you'll read the brief and you're going to introduce it's like this person is 32 and uh, has recently bought a new home and is probably quite hipstery and will have a beard and it's like ah and I from knowing doing ads you know the writers are so specific about their idea that they don't want to change their idea because it feels like they're being maybe a bit weak and they want to just be very gung-ho and they think this is exactly how it is and maybe they're dead right um but it's always been the one that's been like, I don't have a beard. I don't think I'm going to get this. Or I look too young because I don't have a beard. Yeah. So if you don't, if you, like, do you shave at all? Yeah. And so what happens? Oh, yeah, yeah. If I don't shave, I get a little bit of a bum fluff uh, on my chin. I could grow a bit of a tash if I wanted and have done that before. But even then, it's not very noticeable if it's on stage or it would have to be a close up and be like, is that a bit of a tash there, oh, man? Is there, oh, it is. Uh, no, so I, I tend to just keep clean shaving constantly. Like, yeah, I had a shave yeah, this morning. But I'd shave like once a week, maybe a bit over a week, once every eight, nine days. It's pretty handy. Um, and because I have fair hair, I might well imagine it would immediately go fair to like gingery, the usual Irish beard. Yeah. So it's not very noticeable when it's there. I'd have to leave it for ages and it just annoys me. So I just get rid of the whole thing. Sweet. All right, yeah. let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. I like this. There's a good pace to this episode. I'm enjoying this. Number 23. Do you have it? I do not. No worries. Number 23. 23. Uh, when was the last time you said a prayer? I said a prayer. Um, well, I guess excluding things like "Oh God, help us" and those little things that uh, little Irish sayings that people say, which aren't really prayers, they're you're more talking to yourself. I think. Um, said a prayer like a like a like well, a Catholic upbringing, like a Catholic prayer kind of thing. I guess so. I, like, I don't know. Like, I never, I never spend too much of my time, my self time like praying for a greater being to like urge me on or anything like that i kind of like like to use my surroundings be what's actually real that's actually happening that i can use to make me feel better to uh to make this job go better to help me along the way with anything to help other family members or whatever i tend to think that that's very like wishy-washy and not uh not a very technical physical thing that you can do to help someone or help yourself or whatever Mm. So if it had put someone in a greater mind space, absolutely, I'm all for it. But it's not for me, so I just don't pray. Mm. When I was young, I was bet into the illustrate the illust- the children's illustrated Bible, and I loved reading that. It was like a big hardback kind of big like A four bigger than that even. Um, big thing with pictures and it covers Moses and the Red Sea's part and the land and then there's manna from heaven and oh god there's a golden cow and it was all very fantastical and amazing and for some reason I was just bed into it and I was a uh, uh, altar boy up until I was about until I went to secondary school I think like 11, 12 that kind of thing mm. um, and like the whole stage craft of mass of you've got your main character who I guess you could say is God, but the main character you can see is the priest. Then you've got the people who give out the communion, the Eucharist. I don't even know. The, um, and then uh, you've got all the altar boys and they're ringing the bell, and they're, uh, it was just like I just enjoyed doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pray. No, I haven't said a prayer. Yonks. And what's your relationship now to your like Catholic upbringing? How do you look back on it? Um. I look back on a. I don't look back on a waste of time because it's a very funny society or event or thing that was on. You meet everyone on the Sunday, get to half eleven mass, maybe rocking around twenty to uh, <laughs> late with the family, sit up in the front left pew with the family where we always were, um, and then it was it was all about 
afterwards. One, the crack you'd have during mass with me, brother Jack, who was around the same age as I am, just slightly younger, and we'd have a lot of just mess and, and a lot of like flicking of the ear for your mom to shut up. Um, but it was always afterwards going down to news agents into town, getting your football stickers, getting whatever magazine your match or your shoot or whatever it was at the time, uh, getting your your sweets, your bars of chocolate, and uh, heading home and just devouring them in front of Sunday TV, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it was like the, it's the start of your Sunday, which was always a great relaxed day. So it you can't remove it from the Sunday. It was part of that day for years up until my parents walked in one day. Maybe they were maybe they were at a party or they hung over or they were tired for some reason. And they were like, listen, do you want to go to mass? No. Cool. And then we stopped going to mass. And that was that was the end of it. So the only time I'm ever in the church is the odd wedding, even though they're even getting fewer and fewer. More people are getting married in the middle of a field or just not in churches. Um, or funerals. The big one would be funerals. Yes. Yeah. Basically the only time I'm in a church. Yeah, it's 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 funny, like, when you were saying that, it was... Because it, they have very evocative memories of, like, just the shop after or whatever. Mm. I went through this weird phase where... Uh, I don't know what age I would have been. Maybe, let's say, like, 11 or probably 10, 11... And I used to go start going by myself. So mum and dad would always go to the half yeah. eleven one, and I uh, go, I go to nine o'clock because I wanted the free gaff. You know okay, what I mean? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine uh, in the morning, like. Yeah, nine in the yeah, morning. Yeah. yeah, and I go and I'd sit in. Do, do you have a crying room in your church? Like the little room off to the side where, like, it was for babies. Yes, and stuff. we do. New, it's new and well, new is in like ten years. I remember when it was built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I used to go in there, and I, I made great friends, and I, I. I She's probably not alive now. She was old, like this very elderly woman. And she just thought it was great that I was, you know, this, you know, 11 year old or ever rocking up yeah, by yeah, myself yeah. nine in the morning. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny though, but it's funny. I, and, and like the real reason why I did it was because I, I liked having the house to myself. Then when the rest of the family would I go. I was going to ask you, what were you doing the house to yourself then I, when they were all at mass? I used to, well, I used to go across to the shop and I go and I, I like, I, I used to go across and I'd, I'd get a breakfast roll and I'd get shite like do you know what I mean like way too much of it and it's very bad for the environment and then I used to to hide it I used to fuck the papers over the neighbour's uh, wall because there was kind of a building site behind the house okay, there was, yeah, there was yeah. renovations going on and he used to just fuck it over like you know the crime was yeah in was, with all the other builders yeah the filler roll wrappers yeah exactly sure there. so um but yeah mass gosh like yeah, and it, it, that's true it's very funny when, when that time comes where your parents kind of make that call or like we've done enough of this like yeah. it, they'd like they they weren't very holy. They would have been when they're young, like absolutely like any parents kind of our age or whatever, growing up in rural Ireland, my mum's from Clare, my dad's from Westmead, and they would constantly be in churches up until effectively up until they move out of Dublin. And I actually don't know if they went to mass when they moved up to Dublin. I actually don't know. Um probably not. I can't imagine my dad or my mum going to mass on their own or with their mates. Um but yeah, they, they're so used to it. And then when they grow up and have kids, I don't know what, what happened that they were just like, church isn't for me. Or probably everything that was in the news. Um, about the Catholic Church, they were just like, no, this isn't. We don't want to go. The kids want to go. They absolutely would have brought us and sat with us. Absolutely. But we were just like, no. I just want to watch like reruns of Soccer AM or go and kick ball. Totally. Spend that on Sunday before you go back to school. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like it'll be so interesting now, like as like our generation of you In know, like people fifteen grow up. years. Yeah. Where like we've grown up and we are now parents of like say ten to fifteen year olds. Are they going to mass or what's their substitute for religion or thoughts ex ex existential thoughts, I guess, in general. Yeah. What's it all about? 
and like and, and and in terms of the churches and like priests it's really funny i have a a guy i went to school with he was the year ahead of me and i would have been good friends with his younger brother is a priest oh, uh, yeah. and like it's 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 so bizarre because i was in i was back in my old school voting um for the repeal uh and this this priest rocked up in uh, like full full gear do you know what i mean i was like oh my god that's that's my 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 mate from school it was just so bizarre you know because I don't you, know. You don't see that these days. You, you don't just, see like young priests. You just don't see them. You just don't. Yeah. Like it, it's it's incredible. So, it, but it, it is so funny. Like, I mean, I uh, did you ever have notions like that was something that you'd want to do as a as a kid? Because I definitely oh, if I was did. very young. Definitely, it would have been like, oh, priests are great, and they get to meet everyone in the community, and they've got their jobs, and just the idea it was all like very painted out in my head, and I was reading so much. It was mainly because I was reading so much of this <laughs> children's illustrated Bible. In no way reading the actual Bible with all the fucking all the, the Bible. Um, but you're like, oh, God, I could do this then. It's okay. I know all the stories and all the parables and I know all these and why couldn't I? And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. They can't get married and they can't. They live very lonely lives in parochial houses with like their housemaid or the house lady who makes their dinner and stuff. And they go out into the middle of the country and talk to sick people and organize their funerals. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Now that I'm old enough to think about real life, not through the glaze of this young kid uh, through the filter of like a young kid's eyes um, you're like no absolutely it's the last job in the world I want yeah I mean th- for me like the deal breaker is just that you can't like get married or you can't like have sex with yeah you can't have relationships with anyone yeah it's that's just it and it, it, it's so weird how like surely that's gonna have to be it's very weird in the sacrament of marriage is such a big thing and they want people to like the Catholic Church's big goal is constantly having loads of kids so they can spread the word of the Catholic and we've got so many numbers in our Catholic religion but f- for your head the person who speaks from the Pope who speaks from God to be not allowed to get into relationship or marry is just like hilarious it's so ironic it's mental I just don't understand it at all and when you go to marriages and you're there at the altar and you know the two people getting married to your mates and they're only getting there because they want to get their kid into some South Dublin fee-paying school and it's Catholic or whatever and that's the only reason they're there it's like only reason uh, and maybe maybe their parents want them to get married in a church um, but that's just like the priest is talking about Jesus and he's going to take care of you and you know Jesus will always be in your life and the priest is trying to chat about love and their sermon always starts with now I know I can't get married and you're all thinking what's the priest up here talking about love and you're like yeah yeah we are thinking that like, yeah, can you give us an answer to that at all? And no, they'll just go on about wishy-washy, Jesus going to look after you, and God in the home is a good home. And it's no one is actually, everyone's just got their smartphones out taking photos of a lovely couple, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That it just seems, the whole thing just seems very, very false. But I've been to, like, a lot of weddings recently, and most of them were not in churches. Right. They're such lovely ceremonies. People can write their own vows, they're actually the groom and bride. It's like the one, the one I went and I was at last uh, weekend outside of Brussels, and they're just lovely, lovely vows that came from the heart of the people that are there. There's no priest trying to basically rewrite the vows for them in a way, and always try to get God into the into the, your 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 vows. Um, and it just seemed like lovely ceremonies. Mm. Like there's no signing the register at the end. They've done that in some civil ceremony in town or whatever, and. Everyone's just there in such a good mood. There's no one trying to put on a face. They're just like lovely, lovely ceremonies. Um, that I 
almost hate going to church weddings. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like going to going to so many weddings and stuff, like do, do you start to like categorize the things that that uh that you know if you were to go down that route like that like oh I like that like is that is that how it works? I haven't no I haven't actually thought about that but mainly because I've been there with loads of friends who are engaged and they're thinking that so I'm thinking about what they're thinking about yeah, as opposed yeah. to being in my own head it's like geez if I was married now I've never thought about myself getting married at all really I've never been a person to get into relationships mm. um at all so I'm never like constantly in the right oh god if I was at a wedding I planned this and stuff. But I do have thrown many New Year's Eve parties back in my family gaff in Cavan that I know how I would have the afters, certainly. Right. But I don't know about flowers, what I, well, what I would wear. Have I even, no, I haven't thought about what I'd wear, but I'd certainly go a bit out there, mm. I think. Um, definitely. Because um, it's, it's just a show. The whole thing's just a bit of crack. Like, yeah, yeah, You don't yeah. need to go in your like, black and white perfect suit with the flower and all the lads look the same and all the girls get the choice wearing lovely dresses um, that I'd be a bit out there I think in my own dress and hope everyone else would be but yeah no I haven't really thought about how I would plan a wedding yeah and in terms of then like uh, we were saying about not being one for relationships generally speaking is that is that like is that a is that in connection with like career stuff and being busy with that or just a general disinterest? Definitely part of it. It's tough like when I see people in long distance relationships or people in relationships who then move or someone now has a job in London and therefore has to move to London and the other person is going to go with them and that's hunky-dory or isn't and hope that they're only going to be there for two years and have to do a long distance thing, which I would never do. Um, but yeah, it's like the actor thing is like, no, I'm set up in Dublin here. So I have to live in Dublin or if I ha- was lucky enough to have a house near enough Dublin in the suburbs or in the countryside in Mead or even in Cavan, it's, it's only like an hour and 15 minute drive from my house to Rat Mines, mm. um, which is not a long time at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, the person would have to be happy with that. Mm. And it's always a kind of a trickier one of like, I don't know many people but as well I don't know many people who would get with actors it's always the thing as well people tend to t- shy away from actors which is totally fair because so many of them are absolutely bonkers um, <laughs> that like stay away from actors kids uh, and don't be an actor kids um, yeah it's yeah it definitely would play a part in it but I've also like I really like my own time mm. and and I guess I haven't met the person yet yeah it's funny I mean even like even uh, say like at the moment right like you know it's 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 one thing if you're in rehearsals but I, I'm in the run of a, a show right now and mm. even if you're trying to if you were trying to go on a date you know you know 90% of people are probably on a 10 to 6 9 to 5 schedule and then you know my schedule literally like about 6 yeah, till 11 yeah. sort yeah. of thing so it's like it's actually next yeah, to impossible yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. why actors get with actors you know yeah, as well yeah, maybe yeah. they match that you know as you're saying like bonkersness but like um, yeah, it's very funny you know yeah also some people aren't used to like people not working you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas people they're in steady jobs and you're like I don't have a part time job. Um so I would fill my days with playing video games, playing football, going to the cinema loads, going to see shows, doing anything. Um but having I could go like two weeks, could go a month with not doing any any kind of even a short term work for like a week or whatever. Might have a voice over here or there. Mm. Um but the money like covers me for that. No but fingers crossed that a next gig will come up pretty soon mm. but some people aren't as well would be like oh my god you're sitting at home all day like, 
that kind of thing yeah hey, and i'm working whatever and it's like yeah you were doing that and i'm doing that and we we, we made our choice when we were in college and yeah. i'm happy with mine <laughs> right let's give it a spin here we go number 33 do you have it I don't, all the threes. No worries, number 33. Uh, question, are you the oldest, youngest, or middle child I'm in the family? I'm the third, and it's, I always think it's a godsend. The third of four. Uh-huh. So my eldest brother, now we're all pretty close, which I think my brother Frank is about 34 this year. So he's 33, my sister's 32, Annie, and then I'm 30, and Jack is 29. Mm. So we're all quite close, the four of us. Um, but being the third kid is great. Frank's the eldest the parents would have doted over him. Annie's the f- only girl in the family. Then Jack is the youngest. And I kind of slot into this like invisible area where you can kind of get away with stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's no too much pressure. You're not the like, like mam would still refer to Jack as a little baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which obviously parents would do. Um, but it just means that I'm this one in the family that they don't, I don't know. As well, I'm not into, I don't have like Jack was a doctor, he's now into business. Um, uh, Annie is a pharmacist and Frank's into computer, computers and I'm the kind of like into art, wishy-washy, they kind of just let me kind of do what I am. They don't feel much pressure on me at all to like be ridiculously successful or be like make my parents look great because this man is doing well. Um, yeah, so I just don't feel any like pressure and my parents are class anyway, so it makes it all very easy. Do you think there there is there was anything to you said you know you slot into that kind of invisible pocket? Do you think there's anything to becoming an actor and kind of a look at me? I stand on stage in front of X men of people to that. Uh, possibly, mm. possibly. Yeah, I don't know what what it is that makes someone want to be an actor, or it's not even want to be an actor. What at some point in your life did you think it was okay to stand up in front of a load of people and recite a load of lines in your head playing a character? Mm. Like what makes you want to do that? Because mm. most people would not do that. Would absolutely shy away from that. Um. Like even people who read poetry, my dad writes poetry as well, and you see at readings like uh, older people getting up in front of people reading their poem that they wrote, and they're absolutely breaking it because they just they just don't do public speaking or anything like that at all, and they might know so many people there, and that makes it worse. Some people love it when there's people in the audience, and they thrive off that. I'd be more of the I love not knowing anyone in the crowd. I don't mind if knowing if they are in, but I like the idea of performing to people I don't know. Sure. Um. Because the people there that you know are just going to be, yeah, that was lovely. That was great. Whereas least you're getting real reactions from the people who don't know you and I don't know them. It's a bit more real. Um, yeah, I don't know what, if you're third, yeah, I don't really know. I guess I guess maybe it does help. Or I guess me and my brother Jack, because we were the two youngest and we were always shared a room together, that we're used to being loud and acting the actual bollocks mm. that... It makes getting in front of all people and trying to do something, especially like comedies, where you're expecting laughs, a bit easier. Just a bit easier. Yeah. What What was it uh, like? Do Do you Do you think there's a like if you weren't to do this, is there something else that that you would have gone into? I don't know. Like I, so I left. I only got the acting bug when I was seventeen, mm. and that's when I left home. So I did a school musical called Me and My Girl in Baileybo Community School, as people do. Yeah. And I was playing like the second lead, like the funny part, um, playing this uh, guy called Gerald. And I just thought it was absolutely the best crack ever. Like people were laughing. You're doing all your big, the whole backstage thing. I loved all oh, quick changes. Get that out there. Make sure you're going in. I'm quite like, 
not neurotic, but I'm very like almost like stage manager-y in my head and like things need to be set up right. Mm. And everything's ready to go, cool. I'm not like rock up late and throw things on, walk off stage and walk on stage and realize, oh, I forgot the letter for Ro- or for Juliet or whatever. Mm. Um, so I like being very particular about everything. Um, so I enjoyed that whole aspect kind of got me into it. And then I decided then CEO forms. I was like, well, I want to go to, I didn't have the points or no, I didn't have, I had I, how did it work out? But I basically got accepted into geography and sociology in Trinity mm. and really enjoyed geography, hated sociology. I didn't like, I should not have been there. I don't really have an interest in politics or politics of the past. I'm not big into history in general. Um, I don't like, it's interesting to read about, but it, like, I don't really have a love for it. Yeah. Um, so then I started just lived in the drama society and did like eight shows over nine months and was like, oh, I love this and went back and did my four years in drama and theatre in Trinity. Mm. And that's kind of when I was like, oh, I want to try and get into acting, specifically just that kind of acting and yeah. theatre, theatre yeah. especially. Yeah. And it, what, what, what was it about the, like, are you someone who, like, could you get the same buzz from, is it is it theatre for you? Like, is it the live audience aspect of it? And the, the Yeah, I think so. And the risk of that. Yeah. And the fact I just love, stories and stories that are told in one night like I, like I was saying I love film I love to go watch film acting in film is not rewarding in a way um, it's really hard work you're doing a few like you're doing your takes over and over again you're in your trailer ridiculously early in the morning you're leaving really late at night uh, nothing's actually it doesn't feel like anything is actually real or has been done until you see the final edit and the director and the edit, the editor really have your performance in their hands. And a good editor is they can like make a bad performance great or a great performance bad, like depending on the editor. Mm. Um, but it feels so out of your hands. Where if you're on stage and you've also you don't really rehearse in film, you turn up and you just do it. Mm. And it's that's kind of a bit of a strange album where I'm used to like doing my four weeks rehearsal with a whole cast. You're never nervous going into the first night because well you shouldn't be because you've rehearsed it and you're confident that this is good and we haven't like spent four weeks scratching our arse or whatever mm. that we're actually proud of this and I can't wait for an audience to see it. Um, and then the live performance elements always like hilarious. The lights are on you. It's like, oh Jesus, I forgot there was going to be lights in this and I can't really see the crowd and we've been in a very, very bri- brightly lit rehearsal room for the past four weeks and now we go into a dark room and there's a few people in the audience you can hear the odd cough phones vibrating uh, in people's pockets which I always find to be way worse than a phone actually ringing yeah. it's like in your head you're like is that is that someone's phone vibrating is that <laughs> it is no it is someone oh shit I'm I'm, I'm on here um, but yeah the live performance definitely has a has its own thing it's it's great doing a, like there's nothing better than doing a good show yeah. that you, and you walk out afterwards into the bar or whatever and you know that people have most people have really enjoyed it and you love being in it i say I love like all the, I tend to play, or certainly when I left college, played a lot of roles within one production. So I might have like nine costume changes a show. I remember the King Lear as just as um ensemble part. I did King Lear in Selena's King Lear mm. in the Abbey. And I had 12 costume changes over the show. One of them, the quickest was four seconds. And you're straight back on to a new scene. And that whole play acting basically of it all. I love. Yeah, like yeah. It's gas crack. If you get to put on a wig, ooh, that's great crack. If you have to cut your hair, dye your hair, 
you've got to deal with that then in your real life it's all gas it's just it's 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 serious stuff but it's always best when it's not taken too seriously mm. do the job do the job well but really enjoy yourself doing it because it'll show in terms of your cinema going habits what do you do you have a are you a cinema world person yeah yeah or do you um i've had, I've had that unlimited card since i was in six or seven i think so 11 12 years now i mean it's like it, it makes no sense when people don't have it who go you know if you go yeah, who go yeah. oh if you go like i was living in temper bar for four years when i was doing drama theater just at bottom cow's lane kind of like the back of smock alley mm. and oh 10 minute walk over to capel street i remember one time i'd seen like they have 17 screens and at one point i'd seen every single film in the cinema which would have been about 13 or 14 films to anything of kids animation films to um horror films which i love drama crap comedies american comedies like um but just go and see them constantly throughout the day and rarely now do i find myself in the cinema in the evening times mm. like always always one o'clock two o'clock they're my like peak times hanging in the back row cine world screen two like yeah drinking yeah, yeah. my bottle of water and then strip my bike and head off home back to our minds yeah no totally i'm I'm with you there what what then in terms of like um in terms of say work now do you how do you how do you decide like what you're going to do you know it, just say someone comes to you like um for mm. example you're doing the show on the fringe and the guys come and they say look we love you to do this you know here's the script whatever it is how do you uh, what's your barometer for basically yes and no for things are you always yes or are you trying to be picky about stuff no i'm you no i'm usually a yes man but there are certain things where certain types of shows that i would shy away from in a bit because I don't think I'd be right for them mm -hmm. like I like comedies but I don't like massive over the top comedies I don't like melodrama I think you need to be a very particular kind of actor uh, I don't like going to see melodramas because they're, they're just tough they're like it's all very big and showy mm. it's like watching Fair City on stage and I'm just kind of not into that sure um, uh, usually I would say yes because in Ireland there's only so much stuff that gets put on. There's only so much stuff that actually casts anymore. Um, that whole auditions and that aren't the director comes in and is like, well, I want this person, this person, this person. And like, if you're not one of those person, you're not one of those people. You're not going to get in to see, you might do a better job. You might be, you might even, the director might even like hold auditions just to see new people, but have no actual plan to cast them in the current thing they're doing, mm -hmm. which can be helpful because it gets you in the room with the director. Absolutely. Sure. Um, Usually I'll be usually I would say yes. Yeah. If I'm free and I'm able to do it, absolutely. Profit show, profit share shows are a bit tougher because originally, great idea, because you mightn't get asked to do a lot of work anyway, because you're only starting off, you're just getting your face out there. But then I was caught a few times where you say yes to profit share shows and then like you rehearse for two and a half weeks and it's the last week, you're gonna be going to tech soon, and then you get offered like two properly paid gigs that start rehearsing halfway through the run and you can't pull out with the profit share show because you've committed to that absolutely and you can't leave them with a week and a half or a half a week mm. with no performer. Uh, but you're also not getting paid. So now I kind of, I don't try not to do profit share if I, if, if I can help it because usually it's almost the same as booking a holiday. Something comes up. Yeah, totally. Something comes up that's paid that would have been good. Or even like... I've, two voiceovers 
in the space of the six week rehearsal and show period and that would they would be two one hour slots in six weeks can get you more money than the show would have done throughout the thing so it would have been better if you had it on the VO and not the profit share but some profit shares or some shows you just want to play the character and it's good to be able to hop on them and not be strapped for cash that you actually have to say no because you need to make real money totally do you because of that because it's so real what you're saying about just the, the nature of in Ireland in particular I think you know where stuff often isn't uh, audition or whatever do you look do you look at the UK have you ever looked at the states as options as, to emigrate no like I'd love in my head oh I'd love to be living in New York I sure. l- love New York ever since I visited as a young child I was just like wide eyed oh my god this is unreal um, and I'd love to be acting in New York I don't think it's a realistic viable option so that's that off I don't like London um, I like visiting London mm. great I did a show there for a month in like April 2013 I think it was or 2014 um, and that was brilliant because you get to go over with a show so you have the work already mm. stay there for the month have a great time and then go back home but just the London life just growing up in the countryside and then moving to Dublin was so nice because Dublin is still so small mm. and you can get around Dublin in 50 minutes anywhere on my bike and I just love the tight-knit community I like the way you can bump into people on the street at any time London there's none of that and that extends to large large parts of walking around the street in London no one bumps into each other there's nothing funny ever happening in the street no one's smiling it's like it's just very impersonal it's a money town Everyone's going to A A to B. It's easy to get around, but it takes a while to get around. Now they've gotten their crazy hot summers. Everyone's just like on edge in London that I couldn't see myself wanting to move over there and start afresh. Mm. I kind of know people in Dublin now. You know, like everyone in the business and it's such a help. As to London, you would be starting anew and it's tough. Sure, sure. So I don't think I'm at that stage in my life where I want to pack up and pack up and move to London yeah yeah, I don't, or anywhere else because yeah, as an actor you'd want to be going somewhere that speaks English mm. and I'm not going to Australia yeah no do you think you will can you see yourself you know as you get older moving out back into the, the countryside like would, would you have the the grot to go back to Cavan or somewhere like that I don't and, and I can really you don't back? And what, sorry, what? Yeah, commu- you know, commuting up and back. You see, you know, it's funny you seeing seeing older actors, and I suppose probably priced out of Dublin. Uh, you know, oh, as completely. Well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've seen loads of them where they now live in. Some of them live up in Donegal, or they live in Athlone, um, and absolutely fair play to them. But they've got like families and stuff, so they actually have to bring kids to school and raise them, and all the money that goes into that. Whereas I don't have any of that responsibility right now, so it's hard to see that. Mm-hmm. Five lucky rent situation in Rap Mines where I just don't pay a lot of rent and I've been there five and a half years and it's never gone up and I'm just right. sitting in a very nice place at the minute. Um, I am I, I definitely could see myself going a bit more out to the suburbs, mm. but moving to the suburbs doesn't mean it's going to be cheaper in Dublin. Like people live out in Sandyford and they're paying crazy rents and I'm in a house in Rap Mines with my lovely fireplace and it's really cheap in comparison to everyone else. Totally. But it's temporary because I don't know when I'm going to get kicked out. Sure. How, how uh, did how did it stay so low? It, Just to sound landlord? Yeah. Who I've never met. Kathleen Muldoon. I love you. <laughs> uh, I've never met her. Um, I, know, I know she's an old lady from here and about the house manager comes in and fixes things around the house. And 
my mate, mate Ross and Matt basically looked at the place. We took it five and a half years ago, and they've since kind of moved out, moved in with their girlfriends. We've new people live with Jack and Danny. Hello. Um, but yeah, they've just just never gone up. It's never gone up, and now we're sitting in a good situation that if they want to raise the prices, they can only go up by like four percent every two years or something, which is absolutely fine by me. Like yeah, at the minute. Um, so it's hard to like I personally might want to live on my own at some point because I've never done that. Yeah. But it's just not viable. No, I mean... I'd love At all, to you know what I mean? We all have these lovely things that yeah. I'd love to live in a lovely, clean new house that was built like a year ago, but... What's the cheapest you could live by yourself for in Dublin right now? Do you think you could do it for maybe... Maybe 1,200 somewhere in a little... Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm just checking my brain. Yeah, 1,200's actually a pretty decent number. I'm I'm a bit away from being able to like confidently afford twelve hundred as you said without yeah. taking a day job could, which I don't have you either. You could go under, you like rent wise and then just living costs beyond that. Like I do you know no twelve anywhere between a grand and twelve hundred. But then even then you're like you're certainly not going out a lot. You're not drinking in pubs a lot. You're cutting back on the amount of show tickets you're buying things like that. Do you have to? Sure. You're certainly cooking at home every evening that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which I'm really bad at. Right, you know that's the godsend about um, the Cineworld card because, like, if you have that, anyone doesn't know it's like a it's like an all access card. So you you know you pay a lump sum or you pay twenty one ninety nine a month, a month and you're unlimited film. So it's like no matter if you, I, I always paid a lump sum um, and like you know when I have the bit of cash and then like you're just sort of like you never have a day where you can't do something. You know yeah, what I mean? exactly. You can't yeah. afford it. Even now with the introduction of four DX, have you gone see a film four DX? So I went to see Skyscraper with my friend Killian and since then then went to go see Mission Impossible Fallout uh, in 4DX where your seats move, there's mist sprays from the back of the seat in front of you, rain falls from the ceiling if there's ever rain in the scenes. Uh, your your chair vibrates. Like when I say it moves, your chair moves like a roller coaster. It's like that Star Wars experience in Disneyland right. but over Mission Impossible was like two hours and 15 minutes. And you're like, like the whole last action sequence, you're being thrown around the place. Really? I don't know. I don't know why you don't get seatbelts because they really do shake you around. It's a really strange experience. But if you don't really care that much about the film, it can be such a good laugh. Like, yes. It's really funny. It's very expensive. But with my card, I just pay an extra five quid and I can go and see it. But the original tickets are like somewhere between, they're in around 16 euro to actually go see them. And what about if someone's bringing in like their popcorn or drink or whatever? What did it go flying? <laughs> So the, the, before the film, they show you what 4DX is. You know, in 3D, you put it on, they give you the wee 3D ad of the dog and the ball, and it all comes at you, at you and it's all very cool. Yeah. Well, they do it with 4DX, and my mate had just gotten the large popcorn and sat down, and then the thing started. <laughs> and it was just popcorn going everywhere. He hadn't even taken a bit, so it was right to the top, and was just being thrown around. He was like, I think, I don't think I can do this. I was like, no, no, you can't. Come on, we're doing this. We're doing this. Um, so there's, there is a bit of that. Yeah. Uh, but there is a place you can put your, your drinks. And because, of course, drinks, when you have them in there, always with the lids on them with the straw, yes. so they're not going to spill. Um, but, like, there, I saw a couple who who came in late, and there was the opening of Skyscraper, and the first five minutes is a big action scene. And the seats are going crazy, and you're just looking at them. How are they going to get in their seats when they're just moving around and going up and down? You're yeah. like, you just kind of got to, like, throw yourself into the seat, and you're just straight into it. It was yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's a very strange experience. Epic. All right, okay, sweet. Let's give it another spin. Yeah. Here we go. Next out the gate, we have number 36. Do you have it? Yes, I do. Nice one. 
There we go. What a beautiful XOR, that one. Uh, sweet number 36. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, kind of what we were talking about. Do you feel more comfortable in the city or the country? Ooh, um, probably the city because I spent the first 17 years of my life living in Bailbrink Cabin, but I don't really count the first four or five years because you don't really remember the first sure. four or five years of your life. So that's already down to like 13 years and I've been in Dublin 13 years. Mm. Um, and when I've been older and developing and learning things about the world. Um, so I definitely feel more comfortable in the city, anywhere I travel to London, New York, any of the big city. I always prefer being in the city and walking around the city or renting a bike and cycling around the city because I just got so much of the countryside when I was young. Mm. Like so much of it. Uh, all holidays we went when we was young with my parents would be like we used to have a caravan or when we were really young tents and go to Galway or up to Ross Trevor in County Down or Donegal or Westport um, so I've done all those county countryside holidays mm. that I don't know I just kind of love cities now and being around people yeah it's funny it's some people love the retreat of going into the middle of nowhere I'm kind of just not into that I guess yeah 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 it's um like it, it's interesting. I, I, I think, yeah, I could see myself. I'd lo- like ideally, I'd love to live six months in in like you know Dum City Centre, six months away. Yeah. Like my, my, there's a there's a tiny little house in my family that that I, I'm lucky enough to have access to during the year if no one's up in it. And Donegal, and it's like it's in the middle of nowhere, and I could literally go and uh, you know a cycle to the shop and one of the days do a big shop, and I, I literally. If I don't want to, I don't have to see anyone for like ten yeah, days. Yeah, and that, yeah, that for yeah. me that is bliss. Bliss, yeah. I love it. You see, I'd be I'd like it, but I'd just get a bit tetchy and be like, Oh, what's everyone else at? I uh, yeah, no, I get you. And it's funny because <laughs> when earlier when you were talking about, you know, uh, Rap Mind is a great example of it actually, because so many people, you know, be buzzing around, loads of actors in that area. Mm. Um but like th- there's something I that I think I'm attracted to about London, maybe for the first time, I'm starting to think about it a little bit. Kind mm. of what you're talking about, just like you look around here and you're like, gosh, you know, I, my, I have so few auditions and you yeah, know, yeah, exactly, yeah, you know, the like, options. Yeah, yeah, you just just options, I suppose, yeah. And uh, I was like, but there's something about the anonymity of it that I think I would find hard and probably scary and lonely, but also something very comforting about like I know I'm not going to bump into anyone. Yeah, you see, yeah, people always mention this. I just love bumping into people anyway. Yeah, I just love it. Uh, so I don't have that. Even even if I'm hungover or whatever, as long as it, yeah, because I don't I don't I don't think I've any big bad blood with people who are walking around like oh no, there's your one, there's your man. Yeah. Um. At all. So I just love just bumping into anyone, chat. If you need to go, just say to them you need to go, and you don't need to have the whole Larry David stop and chat that lasts like ten minutes. It sure. Can just be a little hello or whatever. That I kind of enjoy that. I don't know. It's a bit self-rewarding or something like just yeah you're, you're a very like lovely friendly person were you always like that like outgoing kind of a good conversationalist um when, when i was young i was kind of quiet now i did mess a lot in school definitely but i was still did my homework as soon as i went home in the door like always homework 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 first mm. and then outside where's the ball mm. um but i like i never was like smoking in school didn't my first drink till I was like till the after party of that musical I was in mm. uh, Bottle of Bud um, mm. and yeah little things you hear like stories of people like some of my Dublin mates would be like oh yeah because you live in a city you can get away from your parents a bit and you can go to in Cavan you can't do that if you're in town everyone and my dad is a local GP mm. like, everyone knows you right. that's it you're the Halligan son you're the doctor's son 
you can't do anything mischievous because people will it'll it'll get back to your parents or whatever. So it was, I was very like straight lace, run of the mill. I think maybe that's what I loved. Then when I moved from Dublin, it was like right shackles off. Let's sure. let's get to work here with a crack. Yeah, like seventeen is young to move. Out. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's loads like. I have some friends recently who are still living with their parents who are 26, you know, 27. Mm. Mm. Um, now the people move back, they're saving money for houses and things like that. But some people who just like, their par- they live in Ranla because that's where their parents were and they've lived at home in Ranla for years and all the four years in college, they were living at home. Mm. I kind of love that I got to move at age 17. Now all my, all my uh, siblings did and my parents were used to that. Um, but I loved it. It was just like, now here I am living in Rat Mines, the age of seventeen. It wasn't even eighteen till the, the March of my first year. Right. So even trying to get into places or, yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. if you've an age card, it's like, no, I don't have an age card. Why would I have an age card? I'm seventeen. It's useless to me. Yeah, I can't even grow a beard to cover it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Uh, number three. Do you have it? No. No worries. Number three. No. Uh, who is one person who has, uh, in particular, helped you along in your career? Um. Help me along in my career. Um, I guess I think when I was really young. Um, I guess my my two of my best mates actually, mm. uh, Matt Smith and Ross Dungan. Ross written many plays that I've been in. Um, he wrote the Life and Sort of Death of Eric Argyle. Once we left college, I worked with him. I was in like three of his shows in college in the Drama Society, and then Ross is an amazing writer. And then when he left, he did the Life and Sort of Death of Eric Argyle which uh, I was in and Matt maybe produced it or did eventually get involved in 15 Doak as an Embassy Theatre Company. Mm-hmm. And that's, Matt produced loads of stuff and Matt has uh, put me forward for loads of things. Uh, they come see me and everything. If they're not involved in, tell me about it, what's right, wrong. Uh, and because they obviously work within the industry themselves, we both we have just very similar tastes in comedy and drama and they've been very good with just, even if it's simple as, getting me an audition for a thing or Ross write me a part. I've been in three, I think, since leaving. Uh, and we've got to tour. Like Eric Argo went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Dublin Fringe Festival, Soho Theatre in London, Off-Broadway in New York and uh, Smock Alley again for like a two-week run, uh, which was just amazing. Totally. Great opportunity. Like if I didn't know Ross and Drama Siding Players, I would not have been in, in that show at all. Um so they've been definitely great help because they're literally writing me the roles. Sure, yeah. Do you, is writing something that you've had an interest in? Never, no. Interesting. No, I don't know. Like, my dad loves to write in spare time writing poetry. No one else in my family really are big readers or writers, I think. Well, my brother Jack is. Um, he write, he reads um, a lot. Um, but no, I just never... I, I took playwriting in my third year in Trinity and I just find it so tough. Mm. I love being handed a script and then getting lost in their story as opposed to writing my own story. I don't know. I think I lose the magic of then wanting to be in it or something. Sure. Um, and I much prefer being in stuff. That yeah. I, not yet, anyway. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah, yet. Yeah. The dream's always like, I'm going to write this incredible one-man show. It's going to be a lad set in... It's going to be set in Cavan. And uh, he's going to play loads of characters in it. And you're like, this has been done. And <laughs> it's it's too it's too obvious. Yeah, and yeah, I just yeah. don't. I'd sooner write a short film script or screenplay than I would a theatre piece. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah yeah it's funny yeah i i i because I, I write a lot but i have come to that like realization I'm, i much prefer writing screenplays and teleplays than 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 plays yeah it's really funny i think it's because that when i write theater i always do it with the i've written two plays and i'm in the second draft of it a third play but i, I kind of write it and i can't get it the the profit, the fact that I'll probably end up having to do this myself out of my head. Yeah. So I write very small, very conservative. Yeah. Whereas with film and TV, like I've written a web series, done that myself, that was fine. But again, it was small because I knew we had fuck all money to do yeah, it exactly, with. Yeah, exactly. But whereas if you're writing back. like you know a spec, like a, a you know a pilot or something, you can kind of just like, like I, I I can't afford to do this myself, so I'll just balls to the wall. Like here it is, you know, and it's very liberating. Yeah, because you know? I think that is, you're saying like say having a budget like it can really hold people back if you're writing a play I always think you should definitely this advice I just heard from other writers of like you know, write it the way you think it should be done mm. it can be paired back in production a director might take and go okay you've all these big it's set in 10 different venues and we're trying to put this on stage it's going to be tough we don't really have a big set a good director would be able to make that work absolutely but you shouldn't go in handing them a lesser draft of what you kind of want but yeah there's there's only two actors I really wanted ten actors but there's only two it's always better to write what you want done and then if it gets to production things it can always pair back totally. as opposed to start lowering your bar immediately because then everyone else has to lower their bar probably based on because you've lowered the bar and they're even, even lower again it's always money it's always money Um, that you should just Go for what's in your head. If it's set in the crystal maze, it's set in the crystal maze. And if someone has to build an Aztec zone, they have to do it or else do it through sound or just be clever about it in other different ways. Sure. In terms of when you get writing or you see writing, what is it for you that grabs you or what is it that makes a, you know, a brilliant piece of writing stand out for you? Um the characters mm. the characters immediately like if you read a play and you're like, Oh, I'd love to play all these characters, men, women, dogs, whatever. Um that's when you know it's oh the audience are going to love this because mm. the character is so drawn out the conflict that they all have is so interesting or it's funny um, that you know it's going to be rewarding for an audience feeling that for the first time um, I also think a good ending is really important mm -hmm. because a good ending validates the rest of the show some plays that like have two endings or the ending is just like an afterthought. It's like, okay, the, all the main dramas happen now. Let's just have someone say a line in the spotlight and we'll just end with a mysterious ending. Can really not not work in your favor at all. Something with a really lovely, succinct ending, even if it's bookmarking from the something that happens at the beginning to the end or whatever kind of style it's done in. Mm. Having a very good ending can really like make leave people leaving more confident that's what they saw was good yeah instead of going like i didn't really like the ending but the beginning bits were nice or oh i didn't like the first half oh i didn't like the first half but the second half after the interval was nice it's like did you only like the second half because it was like 30 minutes long and yeah. the first half was like an hour and 10 minutes yeah that might be it actually yeah yeah uh yeah good ending but mainly the characters mm, mm. of course if there's a character in it like when I did Ross's, as I was talking to you before, Ross's uh, Before Monsters Were Made, we did upstairs in the project before touring with it. Uh, it was a thriller on stage, but also the character for me, the part of Graham, this kind of young guard out in Balanan, Mayo, and he's alone, lives on his own. He, he's, he relies on his family for like 
self-assurance constantly and as the play progresses he begins to realize that actually he's going to be alone all his life and maybe he didn't want to be alone all his life and it's all getting very real and he's getting very down it was just such a good arc for that character mm. um also within that thriller play he was kind of seen as maybe the red herring as the lad who might have it's about a kid going missing uh and that he might be the the baddie should mm, we say mm. um, and it turns out he's not he's just very very sad um, but that was a really good arc you could totally see it written written so well from beginning to end that I was like brilliant I cannot wait to play this part totally and you get lost in it immediately you don't even almost think about the other characters mm, mm. they're just uh, they're just there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right speed you have time for one more let's do it alright here we go number Number nine, do you have it? Oh, that's the number I picked. Go on. Oh, oh nice. A strong finish. Yeah. A very strong finish. Look, you said you like good endings. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I caught a nice way to uh, end it. In your industry, who is uh, a person or people that you would love to work with? Work with? Yeah. Um, well, I've never worked with Dead Center. Mm. And I'm really liking their style of theatre, that it's not very run of the mill it's not your beginning middle and end they could easily as they did like with Lippy open with the ending or the post show talk the, mm. e the afterwards of the ending of the play um, there's good buzz about seeing their productions that um, like Chekhov's first play everyone going in and putting on the headphones and all of a sudden the the set gets dismantled halfway through and it starts to get a bit more meta um, I just love that kind of new any kind of new fresh kind of thing that's not people sitting in the room, although I do love... Like, I've never worked with Druid. Mm. I'd love to work with Druid because they do seriously good family dramas. Yeah. Really good family dramas uh, set in the countryside, which always helps. Um, not set in North, inner city Dublin. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I'd love to work with Druid. Dead Centre because of their kind of wacky nature um, and because I've always loved their shows. That's, like, a good reason I need to work with a theatre company. I've never worked with Corn Exchange uh, their Commedia dell'arte style uh, that they've kind of gone away from in recent productions um, but I've never done that so mm. that would be like an amazing thing I'd love to do as a, like a specific director I don't think I have one mm. um, director wise like I've worked with lots a lot of directors what already. makes a great director for you? Um, someone who's able to convince you of a new way of doing something at the drop of a hat of like that you haven't thought of mm. uh, because you're either too stupid or you've gone so narrow-minded into no this is the way it is and then if someone asks you to do something else like no 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 but if they explain it, it's like no but you think that maybe this is why that he wants to ask her out on a date this is the way he would do it you're like okay let's run it and it immediately starts to feel right mm. a good director can manipulate a performance because they're looking at the greater picture whereas a lot of times you're not you're focusing on the character and the other character in the scene and how that is interacting and obviously the stagecraft of it but the director is looking at the bigger picture and they can see for example where you're standing on stage and where is best to move you to, to, to heighten the reaction you've chosen um so someone who can like move you around a stage through just explaining or using just examples of situ real life situations to open, just expand your mind about a certain character that you haven't thought of, as opposed to like the worst production I've ever been in that I hated. It's like the only production I've ever regretted being in 
was when I was 17, just moved to college, I was in Two Gentlemen of Verona. And I was playing one of the gentlemen. That's what got me onto coffee. Uh, up to like 5 a.m. trying to learn, I think, four soliloquies. I was playing Proteus. And I just was not ready for this at all. I was this young lad from Cavan who's been on stage twice before. Mm. And now I'm like one of the gentlemen in Shakespeare play. And I've no idea what I'm saying, how I'm meant to be saying it. And all the director did was pointed at one door and was like, so you're going to enter from there and you're going to exit over there. Okay. Okay, let's give it a shot. Like, oh my God, this is brutal. She yeah. was like a fourth year drama student. And I was like a first year geography and sociology Egypt. Um, so yeah, that's not what I like in directing. Yeah, totally, totally. Able to yeah. ju- grounding character or ideas that they have in reality, mm-hmm. in a human way, is great. If they're, it's all about the way they tell it. Yeah. Like, great directors. Like, Ronan Phelan did, um, before Monster were made, the rehash of it. And I just loved the way he deals with trying to convince you of reasons mm. like he's very good with people if they're very good with people they'll be very good usually at getting people to do what they want yeah totally uh last question if there's a along those same lines in your industry is there like a is like a hollywood name a hollywood director actor actress whatever it might be you know in in that ridiculous turn of circumstances that it, it happened um um well i loved like ryan johnson who did brick then he did the recent Star Wars, but I don't think any director should be necessarily be judged off big blockbuster movies because mm. they only have so much of a hand in it, really. So much of it is down to special effects team, stuntmen and set design and things mm-hmm. like that. Ryan Johnson's Brick, I absolutely loved. It was one of the first films I saw in Cineworld, I think, when I moved up. Mm. I was like, this is class. Um, and then he directed, I think, the penultimate episode of Breaking Bad season five. Oh. And it was one of my, I think it's the best episode. Um where shit really hits the fan and I was like that's and then I saw his name at the end I was like ah oh, I could definitely see him doing that he's so good I'd love to work with him or Jeff Nichols mm. who did really like Jeff Jeff Nichols stuff there's a few young directors who are coming up um, oh Dennis Villeneuve is or Denny yeah. is um, I'm a big Taylor Sheridan fan the, oh yeah the writer yeah, of the, yeah, those yeah. Like, Sicario that's Dennis yeah, Villeneuve yeah. Yeah, yeah Blade Runner 2049 yeah. uh, he's done some brilliant brilliant stuff great um, like he mixes great drama with spectacular visuals like amazing visuals uh, and I'm not into superhero movies at all so I don't really go into those type of things like it'd be great to work with Christopher Nolan but don't care <laughs> really <laughs> perfect man uh, man Italian, thanks for playing personality bingo um, will you do me a favour will you because um, you're doing a show with the brilliant um, Bombonate would you do me a favour and um, tell us about that because it's going to be at this year's Dublin Fringe Festival and um, people need to know uh, yeah so I'm doing Susie and the Story Shredder it's on the, fir- uh, the two weekends during the Fringe it's part of the Young Radicals key, uh, Young the- Theatre for Young Audiences that I think Kate Ferris is running this year mm. um, so we're doing it in the Project Cube uh September 8th and 9th and then the 15th and 16th so we have wo- only one show on the Saturday and Sunday in the first week each day and then double show in the following week um, so it'll be a nice short run we did 10 shows in 5 libraries over the last 2 weeks and it's great it's about Susie is this st- set in like a kingdom far far away Susie is a story destroyer she shreds stories because the king King Levi in the kingdom of Levitast who I play uh, hate stories because he struggled to write them when he was younger so he just decided if I can't write them no one can we're banning stories I'm hiring these story sh- destroyers and they're going to shred all the stories and that's it and obviously as the play progresses he begins to understand his mistake and Susie begins to understand what she's doing is actually bad 
Uh, we have a shredder on stage that, that sh- shreds stories, which I've been voicing for now. I'm not sure how exactly we're going to be doing it in the production, whether or not we're going to record me doing it or I'm going to be in the shredder mm. uh, voicing it. We'll see how that pans out. Excellent. Uh, yeah, but it's for people aged five plus, all the way up to like 10, 11, 12, I think. Basically primary school uh, mm. kids. Um, and there's lovely bits where we get them involved in it and things like that that you have to do in kids' theatre. And that's always absolutely hilarious because it's always the bit as an actor, you've everything learned off, everything's going perfectly, and then you turn to the kids and you ask them a question and it's the moment where your heart twice it goes twice as fast. You're like, what is this kid going to say? If they're not going to say anything, that's almost just as bad because you're going to want to get something out of them and they're there with their parents and they're getting very nervous. Is there any other confident kid? And oh, God, this kid's too confident. Oh, God, he's making a fool of me. What am I doing here? Um... That's absolutely great crack about kids' theatre. Like, I love it. Totally, totally. Oh, well, it sounds great, So, um, especially for people. Oh, yeah. It's done by Bomb- Bombardier Theatre Company. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Wonderful. Ursula McGinn and... Ursula McGinn and Molly Malumbi. Yeah. yeah, Molly's directing it and Ursula is doing all the bits and bobs. Michael David McKern's doing the sound design. Uh, Clodagh Mooney Duggan is in it playing Susie. I play the other three or four characters in it. And Ursula's putting together all the set, the props... She's kind of like the chief stage manager of the whole thing, or production manager, I guess. Yeah, sweet. That's a team of rock stars, so that'll be great. Man, it's Halligan. Thanks for being personality bingo. Tom, thanks a million for having me. So guys, that was Manus Halligan playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. Manus, if you're listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. Uh, and best of luck with the show. I am excited to see it. Uh, in other news, uh, yeah, well, actually, not loads of other news. And um, we just finished up our run of Copperface Jackson musical, and, and I have some time off, um, which is always that weird time as an actor when you're coming off stage. Uh, so it's been really nice to to go from, I guess, the high octane stuff of just kind of sold out shows at the Olympia to uh, getting away and traveling um, solo. It's been really fun, really liberating. I already just learned a lot about the logistics of getting around Europe kind of by yourself uh, but it's actually all been relatively fine so far I uh, met loads of cool people doing loads of cool things um, seeing lots um, enjoying myself too definitely uh, I think I've had multiple beers every single day which is uh, lovely um, and uh, yeah so it's all very very bizarre I have no flight booked home I'm kind of just waiting until I need to come home or I run out of money so um it's all lovely, I have to say. I'm having a great little time away here. And, um, yeah, we've got another few podcasts ready to go. So I don't have to worry about that too much. Um, as always, uh, a few thank yous. Um, the biggest one to the wonderful Aaron Lindsay for mixing, editing, and producing the podcast. A massive thank you to you, Aaron. Uh, also, a huge thank you to Liam Moore and Anthony Manley for the brilliant theme music. To Connor Nolan for the beautiful artwork. And, as always, to Alan, Oli- uh, Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary. I was making, I was combining them. What a combination that would be. Uh, well they are kind of are combined because they work so well together in keeping the Headstuff podcast family together and Headstuff.org in general go check out all the brilliant blogs and articles and podcasts and all the wonderful stuff over at Headstuff.org uh, other than that guys please tune back in next week with Tom Moran.